So this morning I'm going to be speaking about pursuing the presence and building upon his word. Pursuing God's presence and building upon his word. We need to do both, don't we? I thought I'd better find some verses out of the Bible that speaks about this. There's plenty, but I've been picky here. There's lots I could have taken, but I've been picky. Jeremiah 29 verse 13 says this, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with your whole heart. You will seek me and find me. I put find in capitals here. You will seek me and find me when you search me with your whole heart. James 4.8, I've already said this to you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. You want to draw near to God? Psalm 119 is great. I could have read the whole psalm, but this would take me till Tuesday. So I've just taken out verse 25b. It says this, and it says it a few times throughout Psalm 119. King David says this, Revive me according to your word. See, so often we think revival is just the presence of God's Spirit. No, no, it's also revive me according to your word. We need the revival of the word of God as well as the revival of the Spirit of God. Revive me according to your word. And in Matthew 24, verse 35, Jesus says this, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Isn't that amazing? The word of God will never, ever pass away. That's something solid to stand upon, isn't it? If it's never going to pass away, wow, hallelujah. You see, all of us need more of God's presence and more of God's word in our life. Every one of us. When downstairs this morning, I was asking the question of those who were there and of myself, how filled with God can I become? How filled can I become? How will I know when I'm really filled? And I, I went across and I stood next to a couple of people. I just wanted to see what would happen if I stood next to them. Because if I'm really filled, I think something should happen to the person that's next to me. What do you think? Well, something should happen. That's not God. I know that tune. It's not from heaven. <laughs> you know that well-known prophecy by Smith Wigglesworth? He talks about... You know, there was the baptism, the spirit, the charismatic, then there's the new churches. And then he says, but when the spirit and the word come together, and this nation will see the greatest revival it's ever seen. Eclipsing the Welsh and Wesleyan revivals of former years, and revival will go from here to Europe. When the spirit and the word come together. I don't believe that's the charismatics and the theologians coming together. I believe it's the spirit and the word coming together in our lives, so we begin to live our lives out of the word of God's. So you look around the world, the days in which we are living, there's absolute chaos out there. And, you know, there's financial problems and all sorts of things. And Christians are going to have to come to the place where we live out of the Word of God. The Spirit and the Word needs to come together in our individual lives. It's not the theologians and the charismatics. I don't believe that. So we're going to start with God's presence, okay? And then we'll move on to the Word. And I found it interesting in recent weeks, there seems to be a build-up going on in the church. And uh, I think we're going to get to the place where this just overflows. And in the Wednesday prayer meetings, there have been things happening as well. And this Wednesday, we went upstairs and we just walked in and the presence of God was thick in the place. So I've just asked two or three people that were there just to come up and share what they felt on Wednesday. 
So Clifford, will you come up? And the two Janets come up. Anyone else that was there on Wednesday that, that felt something? Have you got a, a microphone you could use here, please? I walked in and I just said hello and had a lovely hug from one or two and that sort of thing. And I walked over where, somewhere whereabouts I usually stand. And all at once, I just erupt and I just keep saying, fire, fire, we need more fire, I need more fire, I need more fire. And it's just as though I'd walked into this, this fire. And, and that was, I just walked in it on, on Tuesday morning and there it was. But I was aware, and I, but I couldn't control it. I just had to keep saying, fire, fire. <laughs> Before the prayer meeting started, I started off about fire. <laughs> but it's strange, you see, like this morning, you see, when the Spirit came, I had joy unspeakable, you see. <laughs> Which, but isn't it wonderful, you see, but it's going to be more and more more and more <laughs> especially as the glory cloud comes <laughs> we haven't seen it much yet you wait till the glory cloud comes. and it's coming well I'm going back one step because on last Sunday morning in the prayer I had the most wonderful infilling uh, of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God that I, I think I've ever experienced so on um, coming on Wednesday morning as soon as, I, as Brian opened that door, you could just feel, as, Brian, as Clifford has said, that presence. Um, it was just so overwhelming. And really, it was just a, a complete enhancing for me. For the, um, uh, you know, when you think of a prayer meeting, you think people praying continually. But it really wasn't like that. It was for um, adoration and thanksgiving and just feeling it, overwhelming love. And, and I just thank him for that that um, this is, you know, as Brian's already said, this is a, a process of moving, uh, moving on with the church and individuals. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Um, yeah, just what Brian's been saying about how every week it seems to be more and more, both in the service and in the, and in the prayer meetings. Um, and, and sometimes you do, you just walk through the door and you just feel this overwhelming sense of God's presence and um, a few weeks ago some of us just felt we, we couldn't stand we were unable to stand and we had to had to kneel or sit down because it was so strong um, and then um, like Clifford said about joy sometimes I find I just want to smile and laugh because I feel God's love so much in the room um, every, every week it's a little bit different isn't it Brian mm-hmm. um, and um, this last week, I found I was in tears, um, and God was just sort of, he was talking to me about rest. So even though we're there to pray, and we're praying for our church, and for Northampton, and the nation, God's still working in our own hearts, and touching us, and putting mm. his finger on things that we need to change, and things he just wants to speak to us about. Mm. Hallelujah. As I entered, I felt uh, an overwhelming um, glory of God. 
But I had an amazing picture that I had to leave early, so I didn't get a chance to share it. But the, the picture was so real that I was seeing the dove, but the dove was filling the whole room. And the wings were so huge that um, it, was, it was sort of awesomely awesome that you couldn't put it into words. And the peace that came from that dove, the wings were resting on the shoulders of everybody in the entire room. It was awesome. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you. So just a little taster. Anything that makes you thirsty is good. See, what God does for one, he'll do for everyone. But we've got to do something about it. His wonderful, wonderful presence. You know, isn't it amazing that Jesus says this to his disciples? It is to your advantage that I go away, because if I do not go away, the Holy Spirit will not come. But when he comes, he'll convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. To our advantage. Imagine if you'd been one of the disciples, you'd have thought, that's ridiculous, Jesus, we want you. But you see, the Holy Spirit can be everywhere at once. The Holy Spirit is God on earth, isn't he? The Holy Spirit's here today. Whether you feel him or not, he's here because he's everywhere. He's in me. He's all over the world. He's everywhere. And he wants to do something new in each and every one of our lives. You know, and I thank God for the measure of his presence that we have. You know, it's amazing. People come here from other, from other places, even from Bethel Church, and they say about the presence of God in this place. See, the thing is, because we're here every week, we get so used to it that we can take it for granted. And so for us, we're pressing on for more, but already what we have of God's presence, people can come in here and encounter that presence in this place, and that's good. And we need to say, thank you, God, for your presence in this place. We bless it that it may increase, because we all want more. So it builds up and begins to flow into this town and this region. That's what we want, isn't it? An overflow. Out of me and out of us corporately. That's what God wants to do. You know, these words of Jesus, when he says, he'll convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. In times of revival, when God is here with his revival presence, that's what happens. Conviction comes. Not just in the church, but in the community. Who's ever read about the Hebridean revival? Not a lot. Don't you read revival books? Or do you good? Read some books about revival to see what God's done, not just in the Bible, but in church history, because what God has done before is well capable of doing again. It doesn't mean he'll do it exactly the same way, but it gives you a flavor. In the Hebridean revival... God's presence was so strong in the community, people were getting saved in the fields, they were going to the police station asking for help because they were coming under conviction of sin. The day after the revival broke out in this particular church, buses came from all over the islands to this place where the revival had broken out. How did they know what had happened? No one had sent a message. They hadn't been in their iPad. There was no telegram sent out. It wasn't in the newspapers, but buses came the following day to where God had broken out. That happens in revival. Duncan Campbell used to say, his definition of revival is this, God's presence in the community. See, it's got to go beyond the four walls of the church. It's God's presence in the community. Theologians would call that the awakening. That's what we want. 
We want God's presence to spill over from the church into the community. That's where God's taking us. In the Welsh Revival, even before Evan Roberts, before it broke out in November with Evan Roberts, that whole year, 1904, God had been breaking out in a variety of different places. Evan Roberts went to a meeting led by a man called Seth Joshua, and at the end of the meeting, he closed the meeting and he said, God, bend us. When he said, bend us, the Spirit of God gripped Evan Roberts, and Evan Roberts was on his knees crying, God, bend me, bend us. And he got caught up in intercession. And then he was saying, God, send the Spirit for Christ's sake. Why send the Spirit for Christ's sake? Because when the Spirit comes, you'll bring conviction. And the whole thing about righteousness is this. Remember when Jesus walked the earth, he was looked upon as being a deceiver and an imposter. The fact that he turned to the Father confirms his righteousness. And the judgment is about the devil who's been judged. But when the Holy Spirit comes in that revival measure, we should expect conviction of sin. I mean, do you want that? We need it, actually. I think the church needs it, not just the world. That spirit of holiness needs to come to the church as well as the world. And there's something about, I've only encountered it a few times, but there's something about the spirit of holiness. You're there, in one hand you're feeling convicted and unworthy, but at the same time you're feeling wrapped up in the love of God. And it's all okay. That's exactly what Evan Roberts experienced when he was on his knees that first time. He said, when I thought about it afterwards, I was so aware of my own unworthiness, and yet I was so aware of being loved by God. And that's what we need. We need both of these things. That's the spirit of revival. That's the presence that we're pressing into. So I thank God for what we've got, but there's much more. Now we need to fast and pray and Run after God, because God wants each and every one of us to personally encounter His Holy Spirit in that way. And so I bless God for His presence. You know, I I don't know who who was it that said this, but someone said, you know, we're all as close to God as we want to be. You know, that is true. We're all as close to God as we want to be. And the question is, how close to God do you want to be? How close do I want to be? Do we want to be in that place where we really are one? Where we have his very heartbeat? Because that's where God wants us to be. But the good news is this. You know that verse I read out? When you seek me, you will find me. If we seek God, we will find him. God promises us that. We will find him. If we seek for God with a whole heart. What do you mean, Brian, seek for God? We've got God. Yes, we have, but there's always more. There's always more. We can never exhaust knowing God. There's always more of God. To know about, there's always more of God for us to have. So if we will seek God, we will find him. That's the good news. He's not hiding from us. Who is it? Tommy Tenney said, he said, it's like, you know, if you can imagine, he, here's a curtain. You know, those of you who got children, you're playing a game of hide and seek. So what you do, here's a curtain in front of me, but we your kids, you stick your feet under the curtain so you can be found. So God wants us to find him. His feet are sticking out under the curtain. But we've got to go and look first. 
That's the thing, you see. We've got to go and look. But if we look and if we seek, we will find him. So what are some things we can do? Well, in all these things, we need to be intentional. I think whatever we do in life, we need to be intentional if we're going to get there. So we need to be intentional in us seeking God. We can't just be laid back and think, well, case or ass or have, it happens, it happens. It won't work. You'll just stay where you are today. We need to be intentional in the seeking of God. You know, we, we, we've spoken about, we've got a relationship with Father and Jesus. How many people here today have actually got a relationship with God the Holy Spirit? <laughs> you, you talk to Him as a friend. You honor Him as God. You see, we don't want Holy Spirit to way up here and Father in Jesus here, but the way it's been in the church for so many years, you get Father in Jesus and the Holy Spirit away down there. Well, we need to bring the Holy Spirit up to the same level as Father in Jesus because they're all co-equal. And so we need to have a relationship with this mysterious thing called the Trinity. Sometimes I get a little bit confused. I'm not sure what one to speak to first. <laughs> now, Father, is it Jesus? Is it? But we need to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit as well as with Jesus and with Father. That's part of getting to know God. Part of getting to know His presence. Ask Him to, not just to fill you, ask Him to fill you several times a day. You know, wherever you are, just you know, go to the toilet if necessary. Stick your hands in there and say, God, just fill me up again. Holy Spirit, fill me, fill me, fill me. Because in Ephesians 5.18, it speaks about being continually filled. So be filled continually throughout the day. Not just once in the morning or once when you come to church on a Sunday. Go on being filled and being filled throughout the day. Absolutely filled to overflowing. It's much easier to be a witness when you're overflowing with the Spirit of God. It just comes out of you. Ask Him to reveal Himself to you in new ways. You know, sometimes when we used to have Sunday nights, I'd ask Father God to reveal himself as a father. And then I'd say, okay, now, Jesus, will you reveal yourself as Jesus? Then I'd say, Holy Spirit, would you reveal yourself? You see, and each manifestation of the Holy Spirit was different. When I asked people afterwards, when it was the Father's presence, what did you feel? They'd say, I just felt affirmed as his son and daughter, and I felt a strength and a security around me. That's the Father's presence. When it was Jesus, it was something different. When it was the Holy Spirit, it was something different. Because God can manifest himself in different ways. And so we can ask him to manifest himself to us in different ways when we spend time with him. God's a God of variety. He's got so many new things to show us. If we are born in a Christian life, it's our fault. It's our fault. We need to press on and say, God, do something you and me. You know, take time to, you know, there's a big push on the soaking in God's presence out of the Toronto thing. I don't know how many still do it, but it's good to, you know, put on a CD and just soak in God's presence. But do more than that. Ask him to minister to you. Have you ever just allowed God to minister to you? You know, have you ever been in that place where you're just so exhausted God, I can't do anything else. You're going to have to minister to me. And when God ministers to us, he gets us right at the point of need. 
Whatever our need is at that time, God will put his finger upon it and he'll bless us and encourage us and strengthen us. So just get in his presence and say, Holy Spirit, Father, Jesus, whatever, please minister to me and just allow me to minister. It will do you good from the inside out. It needs to become a lifestyle, not just once in a blue moon or when you go to a conference. <laughs> I remember one Sunday morning, it was last year, the year before, I had these uh, salt containers out the front. Remember that? I said, if anyone, I'm going to pray for God to make you thirsty. I'm not going to pray for God to fill you. I'm going to pray for God to make you thirsty. And to make sure... It's a genuine thirst. I put some salt in your hand, asked you to lick it with your tongue, then I prayed for it. See, revival begins with a thirst. And if you're not thirsty for God, just say, God, I ask for your grace to be thirsty for you. Please make me hungry and thirsty for you. That's what keeps us running after God. Our hunger and thirst is the thing that keeps us going. Once we lose our hunger and thirst for God, we'll begin to settle for the status quo. It's only our hunger and thirst that keeps us running after Him. So if you want me to put some salt in you sometime, that's fine. But you're much better asking God for the grace to be hungry and thirsty. Sometimes I say, God, thank you, I'm filled and I'm satisfied. You know, I'm thirsty for more at the same time. How can that be? But that's how God wants us to be. Filled yet thirsty. <laughs> hungry for his presence, his wonderful presence. You know, if you think about it, we've been singing the song this morning about the grace of God because of what Jesus has done. Jesus made it possible for people like you and me to come into the presence of a holy God. Jesus made that possible. When he cried out, it is finished, that veil was torn in two from top to bottom and the way was made clear for men and women and boys and girls to come into the presence of a holy God. And that's a privilege. Because if you remember in the Old Testament, it was only the priest, that was once a year, and they tied a rope to his ankle so that if he wasn't right when he got any God's presence and he got burnt up, they could pull him back out. <laughs> but we go there under the blood any time of the day or night. That's a privilege, brothers and sisters. That's a privilege. And we should never take that privilege for granted. It cost Jesus Christ his life. He didn't pay the price to make us religious. He paid the price so we could be reconciled with Father God and go into his presence any time of the day or night. Wow. No one else could have done that for us. And now we have this wonderful privilege. The thing is, do we take advantage of our privileges? Well, we should. Because if we don't, in one way, we're dishonoring Jesus and the price he paid to make that possible for you and for me. His presence. I love it. I love it. So what about the world? Well, you know, the world's got many fads, isn't it? 
Fashions, you ladies would know about that probably. Fads and fashions, we've got all these experts with their various opinions. We've got wars, terrorism, all sorts of evil things taking place in the world. But behind it all, I believe the battle is for truth. It's for truth. There's a battle for truth taking place behind the scenes. And there's an enemy, a master strategist, pulling the strings behind the scenes. And the battle is for truth. You see, it's not just enough to deal with evil. We must bring in the truth. It's not just enough to lock people up in prison or whatever else. We must bring in the truth. See, we've got to be like Jesus. We've got to be filled with grace and truth. Now, we bring the truth in a gracious way, but we must bring the truth. Because it's knowing the truth that will set people free. So it's a battle for truth taking place in our world today. And we know the truth, do we not? What a privilege it is to know the truth. You know, today in our nation, I don't know whether it's in other nations, but many people in this nation believe that my truth is just as valid as your truth. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as it doesn't affect me. It doesn't matter what I believe as long as it doesn't affect you. All truth is the same and all truth is valid. Well, God sees it slightly differently. God thinks his truth is absolute. Absolute truth. You remove the absolutes, society just begins to go down a slippery slope. But God's truth is an absolute. And it's eternal. And we know it because truth is the person, Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, and the life. And the world needs to know absolute truth once more. And I don't know about you, but I want to build my life and my ministry upon something that's eternal and something that's absolute truth. See, the fashions and the fads and the experts can come and go. God's word is unchanging. And I want my feet to be stood upon something which is solid ground. And the Word of God is more solid ground than what I'm standing on here today. The Word of God is eternal. And it's absolute. And it's truth. You know, there's, there's a bit of a thing in the church we've got to be relevant. Well, only up to a point. Because what I find this, the more we try to be relevant to society, the more we become irreverent to God. And we need to be building our lives upon the Word, which is eternal and absolute truth. Actually, you see, we should be leading the way for society. They should be looking at the church, seeing there's a different way to live, and they should be following us. The church should not be following society. It's the wrong way around. It's upside down. The world stood in its head. We should be the light in the darkness, and we should be saying to them, Hey, follow me. We know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I love it. In December, part of what God gave to Alice and myself was this. I have given you everything you need. I have given you my word, and my word is truth. And I don't know if you remember when the Bethel students came, and one of the prophetic words they shared for the church was this, that there was three keys, they said. One was the bonds of family. 
The second one was unity. And the third one was this. The word of God is truth. The word of God is truth. And it's promises that God wants to be fulfilled. In other words, God wants to fulfill his promises in your life, in my life. But that will come about if we believe his word is true. And it's not just been true for someone else. It needs to become true in our experience. When Jesus said, in you you'll know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, that word know there means to know in our experience. Not a head knowledge, not giving mental assent, but to know the truth in our own experience. Praise God. The Bible's a wonderful book. Remember last year when we did the Freedom in Christ stuff, and uh, I put down this question, can we trust the Bible? Well, that's a valid question, is it not? So I just looked at this thing that uh, some of the information I gave out then. The Bible is still the world's best-selling book, right? There's something like six billion copies being sold. In fact, it's been the world's best-selling book for so long, they've even taken it now off the best-sellers list because I think it embarrasses them all. They no longer put it on the list. <laughs> it's too embarrassing. You let the Bible loose, countries change because truth is set free. It's been translated into more languages than any other book. Dave Pearson would know that, and Sue. The Bible has been translated into 2,500 languages. I've got here at the latest count. 2,500 different languages. Think of that. What other book do you know that's been translated into 2,500 different languages? The book that follows that has been translated into the next most languages, Pilgrim's Progress. 2,000 different languages. Isn't that amazing? So you've got the Bible and then Pilgrim's Progress. That's amazing. And this will make you laugh. The next one, you'll never believe this, Pinocchio. (laughs) Pinocchio. Is my nose growing? No, there's the truth. 263 languages, the book of Pinocchio. Isn't that amazing? She got the Bible, Pilgrim's Progress. <laughs> and you got Pinocchio. Have a look at the nose of the person next to you. Just, is it growing? I mean, isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah. Another well known fact is this, you know. The Bible's written by 66 different authors, sorry, 66 different books written over 1,500 different years by 40 different authors. And it's got a consistent theme throughout. That's amazing. That's amazing. You could go into any library of the world and you try and find 66 different books written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 different authors and see if it's got a consistent theme. Humanly impossible. What a book we've got, haven't we? Wow. Thank you for it. More historical evidence than any other historical document. For the New Testament alone, I read 27,000, but there's 24,000 original manuscripts for the New Testament alone. 24,000. Right? 
The nearest it comes to that is Homer's Iliad, and that can only manage 643 original manuscripts. That's all it can manage. 643. The New Testament alone has got 24,000. And there's many other historical documents that have only got a handful of original manuscripts. So if the critics and the experts want to write off the Bible, they've got to write off most of history. Because we've got more original manuscripts than any of them. Isn't that good? This is the book God gave us. That's why we should believe in the Word, because we can trust it. Time's getting on, so... Again, you know, how can we build our lives? Well, the mansion not live by bread alone, every word that proceeds from God. We need to get in the Word every day. You know, read the Word, appreciate the Word, start believing the Word, start confessing the Word, start receiving the promises for yourself. Believe you're walking upon solid grounds. This is the, you know, the, the, all the experts out there. God's the greatest expert. Take his advice. Take his advice. Might just change your life. I find it's changing my life. And you know the annoying thing? He's always right. He's always right. He's always right. Don't understand it. He's always right. And what you need to do, of course, you've got to mix the word with faith. You know, it says in Hebrews that the word didn't profit them, talking about the Hebrews, because it wasn't mixed with faith. We've got to mix the word with faith. And we need to add a little bit of patience because it says through faith and patience we inherit the promises. So we need faith and we need patience. And that way we'll inherit the promises. And we'll find that that word becomes true in our lives. Because God's watching over his word to perform it. There's a lot more I could say but I won't. But there you go. Anyway, we need to pursue God's presence and build our lives and minister upon his word. That's what we need to do, don't we? And God is going to bring His Spirit and Word together in our lives. And when this happens, we're going to see a great revival in this nation. And it's not just the, the prophecy from Wigglesworth. Has been, you remember that one last year from uh, Kansas, the House of Prayer in Kansas, that prophetic word that we played up here. And it said about revival beginning in Britain, wildfire, which is unstoppable, and revival will go from this nation to mainland Europe. That's where we're going, folks. That's where we're going. And God's equipping us for the journey because we're going to need the Spirit and the Word together in our lives for the journey because He wants us to learn to live out of the Word because the financial system's a bit dodgy and the other systems out there are a bit dodgy. But if we can learn to live out of the Word more and more, we might even start getting excited about it. That'd be a terrible thing, wouldn't it? Christians getting excited about the Bible. Wow. Well, it's a first time for everything, isn't it? Well, see, Joan got excited there, didn't you, Joan? So excited she dropped something up. Look at that. So can we stand, please? Father, we are living in amazing days. You're pouring out your spirit. We love your presence. God, you've given us your word. What an amazing book. God, it's eternal and it's truth. It's the very thing we need in these days. And Father, I ask for myself and this people called Kingdom Life Church, I ask for the grace to bring the spirit and the word together in our lives. Lord, let a cry go up. God, I want more of your revival presence, but God, I also ask you to revive me according to your word. Father, Take us forward in your purposes.
God, we want to change our town and change our nation. And we want to get into the overflow. So, Lord, thank you for all you've done. But thank you in advance for all you're going to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you.